Uh, as Pastor Tim mentioned this morning, um, he and I, with our wives being absent, are working hard to be civilized and all of that. This is a clean shirt, so <laughs> we're doing pretty good, aren't we? And uh, I'm saving that orange plaid for another night, but uh, it's all good. It's all good. There were some pretty serious storms, at least back in uh, the Des Moines area, I know, today. And uh, we had some, I think, 80-mile-an-hour winds, and thankfully our home and property is okay. A few people around us lost trees and, and uh, pretty serious stuff. So thankful for safety, thankful for a beautiful afternoon here. It turned into a beautiful day that we can all enjoy. Uh, Tim also mentioned uh, the book, The Thriving Church, and so I'll say more about that on Wednesday night, but just want to mention that it is available in the uh, gift shop here, the, the store here on camp, uh, at camp. And I uh, had a heart to, after pastoring and transitioning into teaching ministry, to take things I had studied from Ephesians 4 and, uh, and really try to capture an exposition of that chapter as it relates to growth in the church and define what biblical growth is, identify the factors that we as believers can contribute to the growth of our churches. And we're not just talking about numerical growth, we're talking about the kind of growth that that passage describes for us, and then lay that out so that we can have access to that and hopefully encourage and help believers and church members and pastors and strengthen churches in that way. So it's there, it's available, if it's helpful for you. I encourage you maybe even just to open it up and and look at the uh, chapter headings there and see what could be helpful. It's set up so that it could be a uh, Sunday school study, or I know some pastors have used it as a resource for a sermon series. Uh, could be a small group study. There are discussion questions provided at the end of each chapter. And so just want to mention that to you. And again, I'll say a little bit more about that Wednesday night. It's there at a discount price. And uh, so you can stop by the bookstore. It's also on Amazon. You can get it for Kindle as well. And uh, so just encourage and invite you to check that out. Um, I've always enjoyed fishing. And uh, when we moved to South Carolina back in 2003, where we lived was just near the, uh, it was called the Blue Ridge Escarpment, so kind of the edge of the Blue Ridge uh, mountain range there and uh, the Smoky Mountains in particular in that area. And the, the water that uh, comes out of the mountains runs down the sides of those, those uh, mountain sides and grows into streams and then into rivers. And the temperature of the water and the what's called freestone bed, uh, beds of the rivers are ideal for trout. And so I, I got an interest in trout fishing, and my youngest son and I enjoyed fishing together. And so we would drive up into the, the mountains there in the, the north of South Carolina and the edge of North Carolina. And, and we kind of self-taught uh, ourselves to, to trout fish, everything from night crawlers to crickets and then into using fishing lures and uh, then, then fly fishing. And just I developed a, a love for it. And, and one of the things I learned along the way is, is how to clean a trout quickly. Now, I don't just catch trout to say I caught it or to hang it on the wall. I love the taste of trout. Anybody like, like trout? Okay, just something about it. Trout are beautiful fish. They're just a, a fascinating uh, little fish and uh, fun to catch, but also taste really good. And uh, a little bit of melted butter and some, uh, some lemon pepper in there and uh, just amazing, right? So, so I enjoy that very much. So you've got to clean them, right, to be able to eat them. 
and, and I actually watched a video and learned how to clean a trout in less than a minute. So zip open the belly. I won't go into too much detail, but there are three points around uh, two sides of the gills, one of the digestive system. You cut those, grab hold, boom, it's out. Throw it in the river, it goes downstream for the raccoons and the crawdads, and you're good to go, right? So uh, along the way, uh, somebody who was a member of our church actually left on my desk a little package, and I opened it up, and, and it was this knife. He didn't give it to me specifically for trout fishing, but I was looking at it one day, and I thought, you know what? That is perfect. It is just the right length, and it fits perfectly in my, my fishing vest, and, uh, and the way that it's made, there's a regular blade, but then this one is serrated, and it just works perfectly for doing what I just described to clean a trout and just zip, bam, 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 and, and you're on your way. So, so I carried this with me on a lot of fishing excursions out in the rivers and streams in the beautiful setting of trout fishing in, in North and South Carolina. I just noticed this one even has a little bit of a blood stain still on there from last time I used it. So, uh, so it's, it's definitely been used. But uh, along the way, the individual who, who gave this to me was, I guess I'd call him a friend, definitely, uh, you know, uh, on friendly terms and, and uh, somebody who was involved in our ministry there, and um, uh, a great, great individual, uh, but, but made a decision and, and a choice that was hurtful to me. Now, it was not directed at me, and it was not really an offense against me. It was not something where he personally wronged me, but, but I felt it that way. I, I took it that way, and, and sometimes as pastors, that happens. A person will make a decision, and they're just you know, trying to engage with life and make choices and go in a direction, and, and it affects us personally. And the choice that he made, the direction that he went, it hurt me. And, and so after that, uh, every time I pulled out my knife to clean a trout, guess what I thought of? I thought of him, which I did before, right? I thought of him and, and was grateful and had uh, positive you know, thoughts about this individual. But that, after that instance, every time I pulled it out to clean a trout, I thought of him and there was that hurt. And isn't it interesting how a person who is, again, we're on friendly terms with, maybe fellow church members with, maybe even good friends or family members can, can say something or make a choice, and, and sometimes without they, them even realizing it, it hurts us, and, and we carry that with us. And, and the, the smallest of circumstances or items or, or experiences can trigger thoughts that, that renew that hurt and reopen that wound. And sometimes those, those offenses are against us. Sometimes those wrongs do uh, hurt us deeply, and, and they know it, right? Now, think, keep that in mind, and then think about the world that we live in, and think about the, the, the division, the pronounced division that we are witnessing right now in our world. And if, if it was divided before, it's even more, more pronounced now, isn't it? There's just so much hostility and rancor and hatred going back and forth. 
And the, the great thing is that believers have a provision from God for dealing with hurts and offenses. We have something called forgiveness. And the church and believers are supposed to be distinct from the world. And so rather than, than taking up arms, rather than becoming hostile toward each other as, as the world naturally does, our way of processing those differences that become hurts and offenses is not to push away, but to move toward in a kind and loving way and to work toward forgiveness. And I am so thankful for forgiveness. Thank you for, for exalting the love of God tonight in our musical worship and reminding us of, of how God has provided for us all forgiveness through Jesus Christ, His Son. And that forgiveness then extends not only to us, but to others right out from us. And I'm so thankful I have been on the receiving end of God's magnanimous, infinite forgiveness. And I've been on the receiving end of forgiveness from others. And God has helped me to be forgiving toward others as well. It really is, is part of everyday life for a believer. It's not something that should be unusual. It can be difficult, but it shouldn't be unusual for us. So how do we process these hurts and offenses? And how do we deal with them in the way that God has instructed us to? That's what I want to talk about tonight. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. And this is in the context of a section of Luke's gospel where Jesus is teaching on various topics that address how to live as his followers. And it's almost as if there are, there are isolated uh, elements of life that he's addressing and Here's how to live in this situation. Here's how to live in this situation as a follower of Jesus Christ. And it almost seems as if it's abrupt here in, in chapter 17 that he raises this issue of, of offenses and how to deal with them. And I'm calling this simple lessons on forgiveness because Jesus speaks in a very simple and straightforward way. Now, he speaks very clearly and very directly. These are simple instructions, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily easy, does it? Because there are challenges that come with practicing forgiveness. But we're going to call this for tonight and then again tomorrow night, Simple Lessons on Forgiveness. Look with me at Luke chapter 17, verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So here's simple lesson number one. Forgive freely. Forgive freely. Jesus stated it directly and with clarity and simplicity. Offenses and hurts and forgiveness can raise complex issues, and we will talk about some of those along the way. The topic of forgiveness forces us to wrestle with some difficult questions, and we'll address some of those questions. But what happens is, when we're hurt, emotion takes over. 
We, we, we feel a certain way about the person that caused the hurt, the person who did the wrong. And we can be controlled by those emotions. And, and Jesus here just lays it out very directly, very clearly. If your brother sins against you, you rebuke him. And if he repents, you forgive him. Very straightforward. So I think it's important for us to not make this harder than it is. It's important for us to, to not respond too subjectively, to not be controlled by our emotion. And, you know, those, those hurts become wounds and they fester and they become part of our thinking and part of our feeling. And it's hard to overcome that sometimes. But Jesus' instruction is very objective. It doesn't depend on the person or the situation or our emotion. So right away we see that we need to take a step back and not just start raising objections or, or, or stating exceptions, but listen to his word and consider how to obey what Jesus instructed us to do. He says, if your brother sins against you, so brother implies that he's talking about a situation between fellow believers, so that's the, that's the context that we'll address that in here. Sins against you means does wrong. So the other person does something that's wrong, and, and they do it in a way that affects you personally. It's against you. It's interesting that Jesus recognized that people sinning against you is to be expected, isn't it? It's not unusual. It's part of life. So what I want to do with this is, is talk about some very practical steps. Because again, I think sometimes it's not a matter of understanding what, what is expected, but how do we do this? So as these situations arise, how is it that we can move toward another person rather than pushing them away, rather than harboring the hurt? How can we as believers move toward others and practice forgiveness. So I'm going to give you some very practical steps, and these are almost common sense, but I think it helps to be reminded of them and sometimes called to action in these areas. And so here's the first practical step, and these are just bullet points in your, your outline there in the, in the book. The first practical step is decide if you can let it go. Decide if you can let it go. And by let it go, I mean without addressing it individually with the other person, without bringing it up. Because hurts and offenses are just a reality. They're part of daily life, and we do and say hurtful things. It's just part of doing life together in a family, in a church, and even between friends. And the verse that's often connected to this idea is 1 Peter 4.8, which says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. We talked about that last night, didn't we? So how is it that we can practice fervent love for each other, that, that unselfish love? Well, Peter continues in 1 Peter 4.8, For love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, the idea of cover is interesting, isn't it? doesn't mean in a deceitful way, like, oh, I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing. No, it's, it's, it's one person being willing to, to cover somebody else's wrongdoing. I like how the Tyndale New Testament commentary describes this, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. You see, what this is, is a conscious choice 
to overlook and to put out of your mind the hurt or the offense that someone has committed against you. Now, how does this work? When can this happen? Well, if, if it stays on your mind and you think about it every time you see that person, then, then you're probably not letting it go. You're probably not overlooking it. You're not forgetting about it. And let me be quick to say, if it is a moral wrong, if there's some serious offense and there's continual hurt, you probably shouldn't let it go because that person needs to be challenged, maybe confronted in that area of their lives. But we reach a place in our minds where we think, okay, is this just something that I can, on my own, make a choice to say, I'm going to forget, consciously forget about this and just let it go, then, then we can do that. And honestly, that's what happened with this situation involving my little trout cleaning knife. I mean, sometimes I honestly felt like throwing the thing in the deepest part of the river. It just hurt. And one day I thought, this is stupid. <laughs> you know? I mean, for one thing, it wasn't directed against me. And, and yeah, things are different now than, than they used to be. And there had been some effort to, to try to, to have a conversation about it, but it just, just wasn't moving forward. And I just thought, you know what? I just need to let it go. And, and by the grace of God, I was able to consciously do that. And, and when I clean trout, I still think about the person, but I can pray for him and I can think about him in a positive way and thank God for the blessing that he's been in my life. And that's the grace of God that enables us to do that. And, and you've got to think about that and pray about that and say, is this something that I can handle in that way? You know, this idea of covering is just a beautiful image, isn't it? Um, if you look at your backyard and, you know, a few uh, items have piled up out there that are kind of junky and not so attractive and... And then uh, that, that first big snow of winter comes and just blankets the ground with that white covering. You don't see them anymore, do you? You don't see the junk that's out there. It's all covered up. Now, it goes away in the spring, but you've got to deal with it. But I think that's kind of the idea. There's just this blanket of love that we are able, by the grace of God, to use and say, you know what? It's just, it's out of view. Love covers that. I don't have to, to raise that issue. I can let that go. And again, praise God for his grace that allows us to be able to do that. And you can't bring up every little thing every time you get your feelings hurt, right? And so you have to be willing to let some things go. Somewhere along the way, I can't even remember where I heard this, but I heard this little statement, and, and Faith, my wife, and I have, have learned from it and tried to utilize it and share it with others. It's just the statement, I won't be offended by that. So if somebody, you know, just without even thinking, makes some comment or, or overlooks something, you know, that they should have noticed or, you know, just does something that maybe could be hurtful, say, you know what, I'm just not going to be offended by that. Just not going to allow myself to be controlled by, by that and just let it go. As Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. And I think that that's what's included in the idea of bearing with one another, the idea of forbearance, right? We're just aware. We have weaknesses. We have faults. We're human. And there are times we just say, you know what? It's okay, especially in families, 
and a lot in churches, but just in life. Now let's talk about the second practical step, and I think this one applies either way. So the first one is decide whether you can let it go. The second one is pray about it. Pray about it. Look with me at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This is obvious, but again, I think we may need to be reminded of this and maybe receive some direction in how to pray about hurts and offenses and the people that cause them. And there are two scriptural reasons to do this, two scriptural reasons to pray in this situation. The first one is that Jesus told us to pray for people who hurt us. He told us to. Look at Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies. There's that word again, love. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And he continues on with the explanation of that. It's love. It's a way of loving other people. So, so Jesus says to pray for those who hurt you. And here he's talking about an extreme situation, but that certainly would cover everything in between. Prayer is an antidote for bitterness. And if you are struggling with bitterness against somebody else because of the hurt they've caused you or the offense they've committed against you, this is one of the first steps to take, is to pray about the situation and pray specifically for those people. It's hard to pray for people and to hold on to bitterness against them. So, so the first reason to pray for them is Jesus told us to. The second reason is that Paul told us to pray about things that cause us to be anxious. Now, if you've got a problem with somebody, it's going to be on your mind, isn't it? In fact, you, it might cause you to lose sleep. It'll put a knot in your stomach. And especially if you are, are in a position where you're thinking, you know what, I'm going to have to talk to this person. We're going to have to have a difficult conversation. I mean, there's nothing that screws up my stomach and, and ties a knot in my stomach more than facing a difficult conversation with somebody like that. I mean, that's anxiety. That's stress. And you know well that Paul said in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the result of that is the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So when you're facing the, the prospect of dealing with an issue with another person or you're carrying that in your heart, one of the best things to do is to bring that before God and thank Him for His grace and His enabling power and the wisdom He will give and then request what you need in that situation. So anytime you experience a deep hurt, you should pray. When you're anxious about a strained relationship, you should pray. If you're about to have an uncomfortable conversation with someone, you should pray. And we won't go there tonight, but I, I mentioned last night James chapter 3, but if you want to jot down James 3, 13 to 18, there's a whole description there of, of the wisdom that God gives to help us solve conflicts with other people. It's, it's described as wisdom from above. So if you're going to pray for something, pray for wisdom from above as described in James 3. 13 to 18, for hard situations. In fact, in this Bible, I have it underlined in, in green. I use those little uh, archival pens to, to underline and highlight in my Bible. And if something addresses me personally or helps me grow, I use green and I underline that. And sometimes if a particular verse or truth intersects with my life in a personal way, 
in a given situation, I'll sometimes write the date right there. And I have a date by that text, James 3, 13 to 18 in my Bible, because there was a specific, extremely complicated, heavy, serious situation in my life that I was just, just begging God for that wisdom from above for. And maybe there's that kind of situation for you. It's very complicated. It's extremely heavy. You say, God, I've just got to have this wisdom. Pray James 3, 13 to 18, and ask God for it. Now let's flip back to Luke chapter 17. If you decide that it's not something you can let go, and after praying for the person and praying for wisdom, that brings us to the third practical step. And again, these things are pretty pretty uh, easily understood and maybe go without saying, and yet we need to talk about them. And I guess I'm seeing myself a little bit as a, as a coach here tonight and say, okay, here's what the Bible says and here's what you know you should do. Now let's just talk through the scenario and what that might look like. So the third practical step is have a conversation. Have a conversation. Because he says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Now, we're going to talk about what that means, but this is where it often breaks down. This is why forgiveness many times just does not happen because there is no conversation. There is no discussion between the two people. Now, when you you see that word rebuke, you might think of hard words and, and anger and a tense confrontation and making an accusation and no room for discussion. That's what the word rebuke brings to mind. But I want to talk about that a little bit. Because that's not what's primarily in view here. But it does imply a face-to-face conversation, doesn't it? There has to be some communication between you and the person who hurt you or who offended you. And that's one of the hardest things to do. And we we have an, an impulse to talk to somebody else, don't we? That's a whole lot easier to unload that problem to a listening ear, and maybe even to somebody that we think could help us or that we hope will handle it for us. Nothing wrong with talking to a pastor and getting counsel and advice, but sometimes we we look to to pastors to handle our problems for us. Say, here's what so-and-so did or said. Now, you take that and go with it, pastor. No, what, what he's saying here, what Jesus is instructing us to do is to have this conversation And God's way is for you to have a conversation with that person. Uh, We won't go there right now, but uh, one text that that comes to mind in connection with this is Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, where Jesus lays out again step-by-step instructions for handling when when a, a person sins against you. And he says in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. And Jesus includes that word alone, doesn't he? It says, you got to have a conversation. And this is confirmed by a principle in Proverbs 20, chapter 25. Don't go hastily to court. In other words, don't escalate the issue immediately. What are you going to do in the end if your neighbor puts you to shame? What, what if it turns out differently than you anticipated? Debate your cause with your neighbor. And don't disclose the secret to another. Have a conversation. Maybe it's difficult. Maybe there's disagreement. But talk it out. Now, I think, again, very practically speaking, a way to approach this is with the person who has caused the hurt or the offense for the hurt or offended party to say as graciously as possible, you know what, can we just talk? 
And maybe you both, you know, you both know there's a problem. Let's just say both are aware. And just to say, you know what, I, we, need to, we need to work through this. We need to have a conversation. So let's plan a time and we can get together and talk. Can I meet with you? And the goal for this is understanding. Your aim is reconciliation. You're working toward unity. You want to experience growth and you want the, the other person to experience growth as well, right? Now, what if they refuse? What if they say, nope, not interested? Or no, I don't think we need to do that. Go back to step two, pray. Pray for a soft heart. Pray for an open door. Pray for willingness. Pray for wisdom and how to proceed. And then maybe ask again and say, you know what? I'm really serious. Something that's just staying on my heart. I just feel we need to talk. Now, this may turn into a Matthew 18, 15 to 17 situation, which says, if he will not listen to you, take one or two more. And then if he won't listen to them, then you've got to involve the church. It becomes a church matter, and we go down the pathway of what's called church discipline. We're not going to trace that out here, but, but there's, there's a way, there's a pathway. And this is something I, I think so many times, I think about couples and the problems they're having, I think about family, I think about churches, and I think, you know what, there is a way. There's always a pathway, there's always a way forward if we'll follow the principles and the instructions that God's Word gives us, if we'll just take those steps, and sometimes they're very uncomfortable, but God's grace can pervade a situation. It's amazing to see how God works when we step forward in obedience to Him. So that brings us to, to a third practical step here when this conversation happens, and that is to speak directly and with humility. Maybe I'm on the fourth practical step. I think I lost count. The next one is to speak directly and with humility. Speak directly and with humility. And now let's talk about this word rebuke in Luke 17, 3. Rebuke him. Um, when I think of rebuke, I think of confrontation. In fact, there was a time in my life when I was involved in, in a kind of a uh, a culture, I'll call it that, a ministry culture, where the word confront was used a lot. So if you know about somebody who's doing wrong, you confront that person. And to me, that word just, just sounds very stern and like, you know, you're going to, you know, point the finger and tap them on the chest and get in their face and say, you did wrong and you better get it right. And it's important for us to recognize that's not what this is talking about. Now, there's a time for some stern talk, Right? There is rebuke in that sense. But I think what we're talking about here is a gentler approach, at least initially. And let me, let me share with you where that comes from. I'm going to share with you some, uh, some wisdom from Jay Adams, who actually has written a book called From Forgiven to Forgiving, which I have found extremely helpful. But he also has written Handbook of Church Discipline. And in that book, he says, according to Christ's words, the offended brother does not convict the offender initially making charges and calling for repentance. Rather, he goes first to the offender and rebukes him, and he uses these words in a tentative, a tentative manner. And he describes what he means by that. He says the word in Luke 17, 3 is not the word that, that denotes convict, but it's a Greek word that means to rebuke tentatively. That is, he first goes and explains the situation as he has perceived or experienced it. 
and allows for discussion of the facts. And he says, ultimately, this may more likely lead to quick and easier reconciliation. So, so it's like this. Rather than approach the conversation like a prosecutor building a case to get a conviction, you're presenting the facts as you see them and giving room for explanation and discussion. Rather than, than approaching it as a prosecutor, you're coming alongside as a friend or a member of the same family. I mean, it's like a husband and wife, right? You're, you're not opponents. You're not enemies. You're on the same team. You're side by side. So when a problem comes up in life, finances, kids, priorities, time, it, it's not, you, can dis, you may disagree and all of a sudden you're butting heads and then and one of you says, hey, wait a minute, we're on the same team. <laughs> Let, let's stand side by side and, and, and figure this out together and resolve the issue. Well, it's the same way with an offense, right, between people. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, your family, belong to the body of Christ. Okay, let's work on this together. And you're coming alongside that person the best you're able. And that's hard when it has hurt you personally, but that's the position that we take. And so that conversation might sound something like this. You know, here's what happened. You know, you said this or you did this. And, and, and here's how I perceived it. What's your perspective on that? Or when you said that, it hurt me. And here's how I took it. And here's why it hurt me. Is that what you meant? So instead of just coming down on the person, it's, it's a conversation. And it leaves room for that person to explain and to discuss. And this has really helped me. Because in situations where I have had to approach someone and talk about a hurt or offense, it just relieves some of that pressure I'm not here to get a conviction in court. I'm here as a friend and a family member to talk about an issue and work toward a resolution. It emphasizes the relationship. It's even helped me in my marriage, my relationship with my wife, of having conversations about hurts and offenses. Now, some issues are very clearly sin. So it's not like, oh, you committed this sin. What's your perspective on that, right? What do you think about that? Some issues are very clearly wrong disobedience to God's word and morally wrong. And so I'm not saying we just, you know, listen to hear the other person's side necessarily in that. But, but, but our whole point is, our whole purpose is reconciliation. Look with me at Galatians chapter 6 just for a minute. Galatians chapter 6, a key text in connection with this whole process. Galatians 6, 1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass... And that includes the one who has trespassed against you, hurt or offended you. You who are spiritual, which just means you're, you're led of the Spirit. He was just talking about walking in the Spirit previously. So you're saved, you're a believer, you're walking in the Spirit. Restore, help them return to walking in the Spirit. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. There's that humility Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, if you're, if you're helping somebody deal with an offense, a wrong they've committed, you're helping bear their burden. You're their brother, their sister, coming up alongside them, helping them to deal with that issue. The attitude is a spirit of meekness. The aim is to restore. And you would probably want somebody to do this for you, wouldn't you? I, in one stage of, of my ministry, I became acquainted with a man who had a ministry to pastors and wives, their wives, 
And, and he provided counseling, but also many times dealt with pastors who were, were in sin. And, and they would go and stay in the place where he had his ministry, and he would meet with them for several days or a week at a time. And a few times he invited me to come and sit with him just to provide another perspective and some prayer support and you know, input as, as he gave me opportunity. And one of the things that, that I was deeply impacted by was the approach that, that this man took with other people who were in some pretty serious sin. And, and he was one of the most gracious individuals I've ever observed in that setting. So kind. Not coming down hard, not judgmental. Oh, sure, there were times when he said, like Nathan to David, hey, you're the man, you're sinning, you're doing wrong. But it was couched in grace. It was, it was permeated with love. And that deeply impacted me. And, and his whole spirit was restorative. How can we restore you? And sometimes not even restore to full-time ministry again because of the depth and nature of the sin, but restore to their walk with God and the fellowship of God's people. And I was challenged by his example, and I, I just began to strive for that in the way that I dealt with people. You know, it's good to keep in mind, if, if it's a believer that you're talking to, the Holy Spirit is already convicting, right? We don't have to do the convicting. And it's not primarily about my feelings. It's not about me being right. It's not about vindicating my position or what I've done. But it's about our relationship with them, their relationship with God, and unity in the family and in the body of Christ. It is an opportunity for you to be an agent of restoration. Can you view... A situation where you've been hurt or you've been offended as an opportunity for you to be an agent of restoration for that person. And again, sometimes you got to step back from your feelings, don't you? And just say, okay, God, how are you going to use me in this person's life? The first simple lesson we're talking about is to forgive freely. And let me give you one more practical step in forgiving freely. This should be the last bullet point you have there. Give the person space to think and respond. If necessary, give the person space to think and to respond. Luke 17, 3 says, if he repents, forgive him. And there's that simple, clear instruction. And we're going to get to forgiveness, what it means to forgive, more tomorrow. But let's talk about the first part. It's a condition, if, if he repents, it involves serious consideration. The word repent means to change one's mind. It literally means to change your mind. It's used of conversion. It's used of what happens when people get saved. And if you're talking to a person about a hurt they've, they've done or an offense they've committed against you, it may be difficult for that person to recognize it, be honest about it, and acknowledge it. But God's Spirit's at work. He is the one who is, is moving that person toward repentance and restoration. And sometimes it happens immediately, but it may take some time. It may take hours. It may take days. And so sometimes you might need to say, you know what? Thank you for listening to me. Uh, would you just take some time and pray about this? Would you think about it? And can we get together again in a few days? And I'd like to hear your thoughts. It kind of opens the way, right? And it's amazing. And I've experienced this, again, with, with my own wife, where 
She's explaining to me why my thoughtlessness or selfishness or unkindness hurt her. And all of a sudden, it's like a switch just flips. You know what? You're right. Instead of defending, instead of justifying, instead of finger pointing and blame shifting, to just say, you're right. I'm wrong. Will you forgive me? And the Holy Spirit brings people to that point. It may be immediate. It may take some time, but we allow space for that. Let the Holy Spirit work. Tomorrow we'll talk about what forgiveness is, how to forgive, and then some of the questions that it raises. But could I, could I ask you to have these thoughts in mind here tonight? When you move towards someone who has wronged you, and you state the offense in a humble but direct way, and you work toward understanding, and, and you arrive at that place where there is repentance, and you can extend forgiveness, you are just doing what God has done for you, aren't you? And what an opportunity that is. What joy there is in just simply doing what God has done for us and being forgiving people. And I wonder if you might be stuck on any of these practical steps tonight. Letting it go, if possible. Praying about it. Having the conversation. Speaking directly and humbly. Or giving space to the person to think and respond. Could I ask you as I pray that you would think of your situation that you're dealing with, if there is one, and ask God for the wisdom and the help and the peace to resolve to follow Jesus' simple instructions on forgiveness. Can we pray? We marvel at your forgiveness. How could we withhold it from others? We do get stuck. May we receive the wisdom you provide to know what step to take. May we receive the strength that you promise to do your will. May we love others unselfishly in a way that compels us to pursue. For your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.